0: annual membership to exit five that's valued at 275 dollars just for checking them out and the tool is free if you're not already a member this is a great opportunity and if you are and you want to learn more go to apollo.io slash e5 this episode of the exit five podcast is brought to you by jasper jasper is the generative ai platform that's revolutionizing the way marketing teams create content What makes Jasper unique is that unlike generic AI solutions that use a single language model, Jasper pulls from a cross-section of the best models and can be securely trained on your brand voice. That means you'll get greater reliability, security, and better brand control. With features like brand voice, you can get the best of both worlds, the efficiency that generative AI promises and the consistency that's so critical to keeping your brand identity and voice intact. Jasper's won the trust of more than 100,000 customers, including big shots like Canva, Intel, DocuSign, CB Insights, and Sports Illustrated. Plus, they have a thriving community of over 70,000 writers. They didn't put Exit 5 in there as the plug, too. I use Jasper all the time, and I love it. With Jasper's extensions, integrations, and APIs, Jasper works everywhere you do, enabling you to enjoy on-brand content acceleration wherever you go. All AI tools can make you faster, but Jasper gives you speed and control. And as a special offer, you can sign up with code EXIT5, that's all one word, all caps, EXIT5, and get your first month free. Experience the power of on-brand AI content creation with Jasper, built by marketers for marketers. Giving you speed and control in a world of AI acceleration. Sign up for free at Jasper.ai slash exit five or book a custom demo to see how Jasper can help elevate your marketing game today.
1: One, two, three, four. Exit five. Exit Exit.
0: exit. Five. All right. John, you're in. You're safe. You're sound. You're here. Yeah. A bunch of people here. And one of the reasons that we wanted to have you here is I think you have probably the most consistently best perspective on what it takes to be a great CMO today and and wanted to tap into some of that with the community. We got people here that want to ask you questions and, and chat live. And then this is also going to be a, a podcast episode on the Exit 5 podcast later. So. For anybody that doesn't know, can you give us the elevator backstory of who you are? You Right now, you're CMO at Demandbase. You co-founded Engagio. You co-founded Marketo. Give me, in your words, the John Miller backstory.
1: Well, I think that, that's the bio headline right there. The backstory is that I've been a marketing startup tech entrepreneur for pr- almost my entire career. Well, I actually studied physics for my undergraduate degree. And then I sort of found myself in management consulting, which quickly led me to a company called Exchange Partners, which spun off a tech company called Exchange that went on to become the leading MarTech platform of the late 90s. And through a series of you know coincidences and luck, that led me to my first job out of business school as a first product manager at a company called Epiphany. Epiphany went on to be probably the hottest MarTech company of the internet bubble and that's where I met Phil Fernandez and Dave Morandi, who ended up being my Marketo co-founders when we sold Epiphany in late 2004. So nine years at Marketo, I left post-IPO, but before the, the Vista and Adobe acquisitions. And I left to start Engageo, you, you know, where I felt like I now have enough experience to maybe tackle the CEO role spent a little over five years building Engageo, and then in 2020 made the decision to merge with my largest competitor, Demandbase. Turns out that what we had built was totally complementary to each other. There's like almost no functional overlap, even though we were both saying that we were ABM platforms. That's just an interesting side effect of what it means when the category is early and everybody's innovating. So, you know, I joined Demandbase, helped lead the integration of the platforms, and now I'm the CMO there. Awesome. And one
0: thing that i wanted to get your perspective on right now before we get into questions talk about the cmo role, but just i gotta ask you because you're here you've been closer to martech than probably anybody out there in the last 10 15 20 years as we sit here q2 of 2023 what is your just kind of overall take of what's going on in, in b2b SaaS and, and marketing right now and what has you excited what keeps you excited about marketing at this point in time?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, some different interesting angles to that question. I mean, the first I'll say is I've been building Martech and, and you know, for t- almost 20 years, there's sales cut companies, there's constant innovation happening, right? And you would think with all the innovation and all the new technology and all the new next big ideas that somehow we'd be sitting here today and it would just be easy, to just use all this tech and all this great stuff and like (laughs) pipeline just happens automatically. And you know, it's not true. (laughs) You know, despite all this investment in tech and innovation, sales reps are selling about the same amount per year than they, as they were doing before there hasn't been like this massive unlock in productivity. So I think there's, you know, a couple things going on with that, you know, not the least, which is, you know, it's, it can be a bit of an arms race. If everybody else is innovating and moving forward and using the latest tech and you're not, you'll just fall behind. So it arguably in some cases, this stuff is not, you do know, you need to do this to get a leg ahead of the competition? You need to do this to keep up with the competition. But I think today here in the middle of 2023, there's other stuff, it's, it's hard out there. And I think it's hard for a bunch of reasons, but more than anything else, The playbook that I used to preach at Marketo, which is sort of the classic marketing model of use content and inbound tactics to generate leads. You don't pass those to sales until they're ready. You nurture them and you score them. And then you do pass them when you actually think they're kind of raising their hand. And then sales takes over and runs it. And it's a very measurable, highly trackable process. Like that's what, I'll call that the Marketo playbook and more and more companies that i see using that playbook are basically reporting that it's not working as well today. Buyers have gotten indifferent to all those tactics, you know, they've figured out that if they fill out a form to get your ebook, they're going to start getting emails and phone calls they don't want. They're finding ways to stay more anonymous. I think with all that investment in demand capture, we've underinvested in our brands and as a result, you know, we're sort of you know, all going after the five percent of companies that are actually in market and not enough people looking to sort of build the market for the other 95%. No, know,
0: I love I, that. I like, want to pause on that because you you wrote something you actually wrote wrote about this within the last week, couple of weeks on LinkedIn. Yeah. I remember I just saw it, which is basically like, Hey, look, only five percent of buyers are in market right now. And like, yeah, to your point, you can capture them via Google search, you know, SEO, S E M, but The magic or the real growth happens in that other 95%. But I've seen the same trend as you have, which is marketers are struggling right now. Sales cycles are slowing down. Demand is slowing down. As a CEO and a CMO, how do you make the case to go and do that, right? Because the company growth is slowed. And so like marketing is supposed to like, we got to generate revenue. Like Marketing should only be doing things that are highly measurable to go and generate revenue. But it's so obvious that you also need to be going and investing in brand. Like, How do you articulate that and say, hey, we want to go do some stuff and make these investments in brand. They're not going to be easily trackable and measurable. They're not going to pay off for a while. Like, How do you make that case in a time where everybody's kind of feeling like the short-term crunch?
1: Well, I don't think you should go to your CEO or CFO and suddenly say, hey, I need twice the marketing budget because you're not going to get it. I think you've got to sort of say, I'm working with a fixed pie. But it should be the responsibility of the marketer to make the decisions about where to invest that budget, you know, invest that portfolio. If you're in an economy where your traditional tactics are just gonna be delivering less ROI, then it actually becomes a perfectly reasonable thing to do to sort of do less of those traditional tactics to free up the budget to do some of these other things that will be less measurable but will ha- deliver, you know, a longer term impact. And that's hard. Do you, you see know? a
0: lot of marketing teams doing just kind of marketing for the sake of marketing? Like you just kind of get on this hamster wheel of like, we're going to write four or five articles a week for the blog. We're going to send a bunch of emails. We're going to do a bunch of webinars. Like, I do like how you frame that. Like, just you're doing all those things, but if they're not working, like why go and spend the time? Do you, do you see a lot of marketing stuff for the sake of marketing that teams are doing? I do.
1: And I think it's because it's a hope it's going to (laughs) work, right? I mean, the reality is you've got a pipeline goal that you're trying to meet. You've got a budget that you've been allocated to try to achieve that pipeline goal. You know, your whole career, you've done that by doing webinars and content and events and content syndication. So it's not surprising you're going to want to keep doing those things, even if they're actually not working as well as they worked three or four years ago. So I get it. I'm not saying this is easy. All right. I'm going to hit you with some questions that we got.
0: We got okay. some of these in advance and people will, people will put them in the chat once they get warmed up a little bit. This question is from Jake. Can you share some of the key challenges you faced in the early stages of founding Marketo and how you came that maybe just one or two big roadblocks from the early Marketo days?
1: Yeah. Well, starting Marketo in the early days was hard. Like the company almost didn't actually get off the ground and it was an interesting experience where we could go speak to a CMO about what we were trying to build. And they loved it. They're like, I need this. I want this. How can I get it? But then we'd go pitch a VC to get the funding. And the VCs, you know, again, you have to think back to 2005. The VCs were like, I don't get it. SaaS is sold by seats. That's how they thought SaaS worked back in 2005. And you can't sell enough seats in marketing. And look at the history of MarTech. There's never been a successful a really successful MarTech company. You know, there's all these companies like Rubrik and Broadbase and even eventually Epiphany, which kind of didn't do so well on the other side of the internet bubble. We basically couldn't get venture funding or anybody to sort of believe in the vision to invest in it. The reason we, we got lucky in the end when we met Bruce Cleveland and Doug Pepper at InterWest Bruce had just joined the firm. Previously, he had been a marketing executive at Siebel. And like literally, we were like his first meeting or something, he was that new to the firm. And so pitching him felt like pitching a marketer and not a VC. He got the idea, he got the vision, and then along with his partner, Doug, they were able to really champion the investment. The other challenge I'll share from the early days of Marketo is is a bit non-intuitive. But our vision for Marketo was always we want to build serious marketing technology, but we want to make it easy to buy, easy to own and easy to use. We want it to be as easy to buy Marketo as it was to buy Google AdWords. And so our first products, we were doing what today is called PLG or product led growth. We just didn't call it that then because that's nobody called it that but you could literally go to marketo.com and hit try the product and create an account and start using it for free and then after your 30-day free trial if you wanted to keep using it we'd start charging you literally for what you used you know not even like you know kind of metered based pricing and so there was basically no barrier to getting in and trying this thing surprisingly that was a problem not a benefit at least back in 2005 because this stuff was new. And it wasn't like people could log into a marketing automation system and like know what to do with it. So people would log in. And even though we made the product pretty easy to use, they'd be like, okay, now what, you know? And it was almost like opening up an open empty Excel spreadsheet and then t- somebody telling somebody to go do something. And so we had people who would kind of bounce out because they just there was a intellectual challenge. Like how do I, what am I going to do here? And with no barrier of entry to get in, there was no incentive or skin in the game to figure it out. What actually think- unlocked Marketo is when we started charging the $1,000 a month minimum. And now all of a sudden, people had to sign up for something and there was some skin in the game to like do the work to figure this thing out. And that actually really started to make it work.
0: First, I love that you have a great example of everything, especially you've been in this industry. You've seen every wave. So you probably roll your eyes at all the, <laughs> the new names, and everything. You're like, man, we were doing we were doing plg in 2005 it's just what it's, <laughs> it's just what it's called now we've been doing that forever the second thing is i also think it just speaks to like making a decision just because you can let people try the product like strategically this is a new category or a new wave of doing marketing a new way of doing marketing automation and so you can't just let everybody use it you had to clearly like have people do it your way and get more commitment and that's an example where just letting them try the product for free wasn't necessarily the best experience for them Next question is, uh, this one is from Joel. As a CMO, if you're coming into a new company as a CMO, what questions would be important to ask for the founders? Like how would you interview the founders for your job if you had your pick as a CMO?
1: Interesting question. A couple things that I'd want to try to suss out. The first is I don't care how good a marketer you are. If the company doesn't have product market fit, your marketing is not going to be very successful. I really believe that's true. I'll tell you an example. You know, at Engageo, we built a product called Playmaker. And it demoed great. It looked sexy. And we were able to market the hell of that thing. And we were able to get a lot of people to sign up for it. And it turns out, we couldn't really get a lot of people to keep using it or renew it. It was a challenge. We were scaling the marketing before there was product market fit. Number one thing I'd really want to explore joining a company, especially if it's an earlier stage company, is understand product market fit. You know, and there's a bunch of you know, metrics you can kind of look at to measure that. And I don't remember them all off the top of my head. But you know, re- renewal rate is definitely one of those because our people kind of you know, signing up for it quickly. A couple other you know, questions. This is courtesy of one of my investors, you know, Sean Jacobson. What... Percent of the customers are companies that you did not know before starting the company. And at Engageo, there are a lot of people who signed up because they loved Marketo and they were going to buy whatever I bill next. And I didn't necessarily know those people, but they didn't buy because of the product. They were buying because they were excited about the vision. And what you want is people who are buying excited because of the product. People who literally, you know, no connection there. The classic question for product market fit is how much pain would the customer experience if the product went away? And you'd want them to be feeling a lot of pain, not a little bit of pain. I mentioned retention and churn. And then I think the last one to kind of look at would be kind of word of mouth, virality. You know, are you getting customers because other customers are mentioning this product? So that's a whole set of things around. I really want to understand that. And then the second set of things I'd want to understand per the discussion I just had and Carlos's comment here. Is this a CEO and a board that gets marketing? Do they perceive marketing as just a cost center, or do they understand that this is something to invest in? You know, and will they support you to do the right things? Because having being in a company where you don't have that level of support, it's just too hard. It's, it's frankly not worth it taking that CMO job because you know you you're not likely to be successful you know over time. Do you have some quick hits in that bucket of like how you?
0: Roughly, how do you tell if someone gets marketing? Like, how would you articulate that?
1: Talk to me about how you set the marketing budgets, try to explore. I try to just ask questions to understand, like, do they get the need to invest in brand over time? The extreme version is they see marketing as the team that makes, throws parties and makes color brochures. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and you want to make sure that they don't think of it that way. And part of this is understanding the relationship with the sales leader, if there is one. And do you believe you can work with that person as a true peer and not as a support function? And on your point about product market fit, if you're a marketer, should you not join a company that's
0: pre-product market fit? Should that company not hire a CMO? Because there's gotta be some, marketing should play some role in helping them achieve product market fit, but how do you explain that? It's risky as
1: a CMO and arguably a company that early probably should not necessarily be hiring a CX level leader you know, to run marketing, maybe they need a director of marketing or something. Got it. Okay, cool. That makes sense. What critical mistakes uh, would you want
0: to avoid getting sucked into making as a new CMO? I'll give you an example. Somebody once told me I took a new CMO job and they said, All right, whatever you do, don't come in and just change the website and positioning in the first three months. Like you got to learn more about that. That's what everybody wants to do.
1: Everybody does want to change the website and position in the first three months. That's true." Which sometimes there's good reasons for that. But, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, certainly, you know, learn before you act. There's so many different situations. I mean, I've talked to a lot of CMOs who, who join a company where honestly, just some of the basics are so broken. You know, like, yes, the website's a mess and there's no SEO, you know, and there's not even good forms to like capture leads. And so, I mean, I'm saying what you should do, which is like, I guarantee you there's going to be a handful of quick wins. So maybe that's what you shouldn't do is don't wait the three months before delivering some quick wins. Instantly start showing some early impact and value. I think Jason Lemkin has an interesting post. Like if your CMO doesn't do this in the first 90 days, then they're the wrong CMO. Like At least show some major movement or, or impact on the business. But that doesn't necessarily have to mean, hey, re- go redo the website. I'll give you a- another thing. You know, Again, this is more I think should do than shouldn't do. But one of the beliefs I have on CMOs, and I've told this to investors and CEOs, is that you have to remember there's three major pillars to B2B marketing you know, and marketing probably in general. Number one is the demand gen, pipeline creation, revenue side of things. Number two is the product marketing, messaging, positioning strategy side of things. And number three is the corporate marketing, brand, creative... Production side of things, I believe that you'll never find the unicorn CMO who's going to be really good at all three. What you're going to find is somebody has a major in one of those, a minor in the other, and another, and a gap in the third. This means for hiring, you know, and when you're evaluating potential CMO jobs, it's really critical to have, I think, good fit between what the company needs and the person that they hire. And then if you're joining as a CMO. A mistake I see people make a lot is they tend to hire into the area of their strengths.
0: Hey, so I created Exit 5 to help you build a successful career in B2B marketing. First, it started off as my private podcast on Patreon. And many of you who listen to this today probably are OGs and remember that. I was talking about my lessons and learnings going from PR intern to CMO Then it morphed into a Facebook group and quickly became one of the top resources for marketers in B2B SaaS. Today, this is a full-blown company. We have three full-time employees and ambitions to grow the team and keep building and hire more people this year. And we're investing in everything that's working, which right now is everything. It's amazing. We're making a big update to our community. We're doubling down on this podcast to serve the 5,000 people that listen every week. We're investing in our newsletter and written content to help the 16,000 people that get our emails. We're even hosting our first in-person event in September. We're building Exit 5 to help you grow your career in B2B marketing because really there's no school for B2B marketing. You can't get a degree in how to build pipeline and there isn't a playbook for how to get promoted in your career. And that's why I'm telling you right now to go and join the Exit 5 community. Go to Exit 5 com. You can click join right there. There's a free seven day trial. So if you're listening to this podcast, if you are one of those 5,000 people that listen to this podcast every single week and you have not joined our community yet, go and do that. At least go and check out the seven day free trial. You'll sign up, you'll put your credit card in, but we don't bill you until seven days. It's a seven day free trial. And this is, this is really Dave. We really do all of this. I want to build a company that is customer friendly. And that means that if you sign up And two weeks into this thing, you realize it's not for you. You can email us and cancel. But I want you to go check it out. It's a seven-day free trial. Go to exit5.com. You can get in our community and you'll see why it's so much more than just a discussion forum. Exit 5 is a B2B marketing resource that's there for you when you need it the most. When your boss comes to you and says, hey, we need you to come up with an ABM strategy for this year and you've never done that before, you go to Exit 5 and you ask that question or you go and search the hundreds of posts before you. When you want to look for a new job but you're not ready to post about it on LinkedIn yet, you can quietly browse for open roles and see who's hiring inside of exit five, or maybe you need to build a peer group of other people in your job function, but LinkedIn is too broad to dig through. You can find out who else works in product marketing in your niche or who else, who else is a director in the $1 million, to $10 million company range. You can do that inside of exit five. Maybe you want freelance, maybe you you need to make a video in a pinch and you need recommendations for a freelance videographer that can work on your next product launch video and they're located in the U.S. and within your range of budget, that is why we built Exit 5 and that's what you can go in there and do. So go and check it out, exit5.com, start a free trial and we'll see you inside of the community.
1: Because that's what they know and instead what they should be doing is making sure to build out a superstar team in their gap.
0: Are you ready to focus on professional development, build your community with sales and marketing leaders, and hear from the brightest minds in business and culture? Then join us at Inbound 2023. Inbound is an annual conference powered by HubSpot, and it's back in person in Boston from September 5th through the 8th. With electric festival-style programming and entertainment, you can choose your own adventure with content across sales, marketing, customer success, and operations. From expert-led sessions with industry thought leaders to spotlight sessions with people like Reese Witherspoon, Derek Jeter, Andrew Huberman, and more, you'll leave feeling motivated to go out and tackle your next challenge. At Inbound 2023, you'll develop tactical strategies to apply to your work, build relationships that last a lifetime, and spark conversations like never before. Join the thousands of other business leaders buying tickets to one of the top educational and entertainment events in tech. You can reserve your general admission or limited availability VIP tickets right now at inbound.com today. That's general admission tickets or limited availability VIP tickets right now at inbound.com today. Yeah, that's really good. All right, Chris wants to know, how do you engage with the CFO? Specifically things like, how have you found the best way to build rapport with the CFO? Uh, so that marketing isn't, as you mentioned before, seen as a cost center as it is in so many businesses, but rather as an investment that requires constant growth in budget. So talk about your relationship with the CFO over the years.
1: I don't want to overstate that, like, it's all perfection and roses um, and I have all this kind of figured out. It's one of those things where I really do think that marketing does need to sort of be focused on things that are less measurable than they have in the past, that the brand stuff's important. One of the things that I've been writing about is marketing. Yeah, we need to get rid of the concept of marketing sourced pipeline versus sales source pipeline and instead focus on team sourced pipeline. But that's another thing that actually makes it harder to work with the CFO, not easier, because you know, the more you disconnect the dollars to the outcomes, the the tougher it is, I think, for the CFO. So I think, you know, it comes down to a little bit. You want to have a relationship built on respect and trust. And 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 part of that is just good old-fashioned interpersonal relations. Go hang out with your CFO and take him or her for a beer or a glass of wine or whatever is the appropriate thing to do. And from there, I guess even if you're not gonna sort of have everything tied down to the penny in terms of, you know, this model of I just, you know, I, I talk about, you know, don't treat marketing like a gumball machine where you kind of put your campaign in and outcome the dollars, that doesn't mean you can't have metrics. They're just going to be more leading indicators and other things. And I think, you know, being really on top of your metrics will help with the CFO, even if it's not directly here is marketing's contribution to pipeline down to the penny. And probably similar to what John, for
0: those listening, John said about the building a Asking about the CEO, like the more you can dig into understanding, like, what does the CFO care about in this business? What metrics do they want? How are they going to think about marketing? All those things will help. Let's go back to something that you just mentioned, which people have mentioned before in this community. I saw it just come up now. Can you share more about this idea of marketing source pipeline versus sales source pipeline and why it should be team source pipeline? What's wrong with that? Why you like it? Maybe how to do it.
1: Yeah. The link I threw in the chat, by the way, talks about this as well. So... I think in the old Marketo model where marketing would generate leads and hand them off to sales, the metaphor there is like a relay race where the baton gets passed. But I, I think that's a very linear model thinking about the buying process. I think the buying process today looks much more nonlinear and much more complex with more broader, more members of the buying committee, more self-service research. And if you think about that nonlinear process, I think it may be a better metaphor for how marketing and sales work together is something that looks more like a soccer or European football team. You can almost think about the path the ball takes as it goes towards the goal. That's a very nonlinear path. But what you have is you have players in different positions, forwards and fullbacks, etc., that are working together to achieve a shared goal, which is getting a goal. And, so that's the analogy for sales and marketing. You've got players in different positions, but we should be working together as an integrated team to kind of achieve the outcome. So now imagine a soccer team that had two scoreboards, one for the goals scored by the forwards and one for the goals scored by the fullbacks. That's an amazing analogy. You know, or even worse, if you only paid people for the scores that the goals they actually kicked the last ball in, they would never pass the ball. And so I think, you know, the try to assign credit to marketing source versus sales sourced breaks down the very teamwork that we need to succeed in generating pipeline and, and revenue today. So what does it take to execute on that? If
0: I'm listening to this and I want to bring that to my company, I think a lot of people will agree. And then it's just like, well, shoot, but how am I like, how do I measure that? Like, I still need to measure our effectiveness somehow. Is there a tactical way that I can think about what I might need to do to put that
1: in play? Well, I mean, so again, you start by having a shared goal. Companies exist with other shared goals, right? Like retention is a shared goal between the account managers and the CSMs. And what you usually do there is like, okay, we have one shared number and that's what the business really ultimately cares about. But it goes back to what I said earlier, you can still have other leading indicators and, and other leading metrics. Are we increasing engagement with the right accounts? You know, it can be a marketing specific metric. When there is an account that marketing has sort of identified as hot, how do those convert forward into the pipeline? I think you can also look at efficiency metrics. Hey, what is the total marketing budget and how much pipeline are we creating and what are those ratios? And again, focus on total pipeline. And ultimately, I think the answer here is to use industry benchmarks more in terms of kind of setting these numbers and these, these metrics. You know, and see if I think that's something will CFOs will respect is look, hey, across all SaaS companies, the average, you know, marketing ROI is, you know, $16 of pipeline created by the team for every dollar of marketing budget. Look, we're here at 14. So, yeah, we there's some room to improve here, but except I think that's how you start to kind of, you know, bring the conversation to the table.
0: Isn't the whole thing you talked about with um marketing source for a sales source and being a team, doesn't that also like perfectly make the case for ABM?
1: Yeah, I mean you could say one which one leads, which one lags, right? You can't do ABM if marketing sales aren't aren't a team. Right. Well, like I
0: did it one time I interviewed um Hillary Carpio. She runs ABM at Snowflake. And yeah. I was like, Hey, people want to know about like how how do you get sales and marketing aligned? And she kind of looked at me and she's like, What do you mean? Like we our motion, our go-to-market motion is ABM by Fundamentally, we have to be aligned. I feel like a, most of the misalignment comes in companies that are kind of like half in, half out or not, not fully adopted that approach.
1: I have some thoughts on sort of specific things you can do to drive please more marketing sales alignment. Three things. Number one, start by defining a shared document that defines what I call your entitlements. What are you going to do for accounts across sales and marketing based on the account tier? If this is a tier one account or a tier two account, marketing will invest this much per quarter. We'll do these kinds of direct mail campaigns. SDRs will reach out this frequently and do that work to document that entitlements document. So that's kind of step number one. I'm gonna throw into the chat here another link, which is a link to the actual draft of the, or sorry, a sample of the actual entitlements document that we use ourselves at Demandbase. And you can share that with the community. Amazing. Step two, marketing should not do the account selection. Sales should do the account selection because then sales feels bought into the process. Marketing should drive the process with data and intelligence, but sales ultimately makes the selections. And then number three, this one is seems so simple, but a lot of companies don't do it. And I think they worry about the ability to make it happen, but, it, but it's something that you got to do, is implement what we call the account-based stand-up. Which is, you know, say every two weeks, a quick, short meeting for 10 minutes between the sales rep and a marketer and an SDR if one exists. And the goal is not a forecast call or anything. It's what are we going to do with your target accounts? What's happening and what plays are we going to run? And if I switch to my sports analogies to American football, this is your pre play huddle what's going on? What plays are we going to run? And if those three processes to me drive a lot of sales and marketing alignment.
0: Awesome. That doc is great. I just opened it and there's already a bunch of eyeballs in there, (laughs) which is awesome. Okay. uh, One more question that I had in a note. And as a follow-up out of that, before I get back to other people's questions, you mentioned uh, relying on SaaS benchmarks, getting SAS benchmarks. Do you have any preferred place to go to get
1: those? I really love um, Insight Partners. I linked to that in the article that we talked about a little bit earlier. They publish a B2B SaaS benchmark that has got the most actionable data I've seen for B2B companies. Cmosurvey.org also publishes some decent benchmarks. They're useful if you don't happen to be be a B2B SaaS tech company, but for the B2B SaaS, those Insight Partners benchmarks are, are gold. Great, thanks
0: for those. All right, this question is from Sunny. Coming into a new CMO role, how do you go about evaluating the team and processes that are in place so that you can make the right changes? I can see and have experienced a world where making changes too quickly causes issues in and of its own. So I'd love to understand how you think about the right timeline is for implementing certain changes
1: inside of the team. So first off, I'll tell you why I'm hesitating to answer, which is that I've rarely done that in my career. You know, most of the time when I've been, you know, I mean, by Marketo, when I was the CMO, I built the team rather than inherited the team. Even at demand base, I joined as chief product officer. And so I had six months at the company before I took over the marketing team. And that gave me some decent amount of time to observe and really kind of get a better sense of understanding what was happening in marketing. So now having caveated that I may not be the most qualified to answer this question, I'll just give a fairly short generic answer of you're basically going to, you know, interview people, meet them, talk to them about what they're doing. And then I would, you know, trust your gut over time around kind of who's good, who's not good. One other thought I'll, I'll, I'll throw on here is I do think a new CMO coming in will often have, there's usually two reasons why a new CMO is coming in, right? Either... The company is somehow messed up and not doing well. And that CMO has decided to leave. right? And hopefully, as an incoming CMO, you're sniffing those out and maybe not joining. <laughs> Unless you're really good at turnaround and that's your specialty. But the other reason is the company is doing fine, but marketing's not working. So they need to make a change. And I think a lot of CMOs are coming into that environment where the remit is, hey, things are messed up. We need you to come fix things. And, you know, so that's probably true. And you probably should come in expecting that you're gonna need to make some changes. The caveat I'll say though is, there's probably some really good stuff happening too. And if you go back to my point about the three pillars of marketing, demand gen, pipeline, product marketing, and corporate marketing, what you'll probably see is that the gaps of the old leader are the areas that aren't working and the strengths of the old leader are working you've probably been brought in because you're going to have a different set of strengths, and you know, majors and minors. So I guess part of the advice would be, would be like the part that was the strength of the old leader is probably pretty good. Don't necessarily think that needs to be changed also along with everything else.
0: Awesome. That's a great answer and a, and a great perspective to, to back into that. Okay. This question is from Dave. That was me. This is my pre-submitted question, but I want to know, I want to hear your opinion. A lot of marketing teams who are struggling right now how do you diagnose what you should be doing? Sales is slowing down. Everything's kind of not working like it used to be. Like, what the heck
1: do you do? How do you come up with a framework to
0: go and tackle this?
1: Well, the thought that comes to my mind first goes back to some advice from Jason Lemkin, which is advice for a CEO, but I think works here too. His advice was, if when you don't know what to do, get on a plane. In other words, when you don't know what to do, go talk to customers that's the first place my brain goes here is like go interview 10 customers and five prospects to get those outside perspectives, not inside perspectives around where things are and what needs to, you know, what's working, what's not working. And I have a hunch that would guide, you know, and by the way, as an executive, are you talking to customers every single week? And, you know, the more you can do that, I think the better, you know, that will kind of guide you the right answers.
0: Good one. Back to first principles. Uh, This question is from Bertrand in the chat.
1: Which critical
0: marketing capabilities should be in-house versus delegated to agencies? Basically, if your marketing team was limited to a few full-time headcount, which positions would you fill up first? And then what would you hire for agencies?
1: I guess I sort of would go back to what I said earlier around, you know, make sure you build a world-class team around your gap. So if you're really limited... I would probably hope that you would lean towards agencies in your strengths, you know, as opposed to your gaps, because you want to build that great in-house team. And I say that recognizing that's not what most people do because it's hard. But if you're inheriting a team, you know, it's going to be pretty obvious where the gaps are. And that's, you know, obviously where you can supplement with the right agency. All right, we're going to wrap up on this one. We'll get you out of here a little bit, a little bit early before the rest of your day.
0: You've been in MarTech for a bit, you've seen a lot. Are you buying or selling AI?
1: Definitely buying, if I understand your question. I'll start off by saying like, I live with four tabs open on my browser all the time. It's my mail tab, it's my calendar tab, it's LinkedIn actually, and then it's, now it's ChatGPT, like pinned, open tab all the time. So I'm using it almost daily for not to generate things, but to transform things, whether it's like, hey, I just I'll write and I'll write crappy, like just junk, whatever I can put out there. Hey, and then I have a prompt I actually created, which was, you know, here are eight articles I've written, analyzed it for my tone, voice, and style, and then I use that prompt to be like, rewrite this crap in my tone. So, do you put that in first every time, or has it like, can it save that prompt and do? I it? just re, I use the pro- same prompt over and over and over. Cool. So that's again, that's transforming. I use it to summarize things, you know, and that kind of stuff. And sometimes for brainstorming, but never like just, hey, write me something about X. So I use it all the time. And I tell my team, if you're not using this every single day, you're falling behind. It's a skill. Prompt writing is a skill. And I think you get better at it when you do it more. And people have to be doing it better. So that's like kind of on the personal usage side. As a MarTech vendor, any MarTech company that isn't aggressively thinking about using this technology will also fall behind and it creates massive opportunities for disruption. I sometimes think about, Hey, one day in the future, I will do a startup again, start another business. And you know, what are those opportunities in AI today? And it's moving, it's moving dizzingly fast, almost like, like, I don't feel like I can necessarily keep up with it, but that's all saying like, this is a big opportunity. Cool. Those are big words coming from you, given
0: what you've done in your career. So I hope people listening are taking that to heart and, pinning ChatGPT in their in their browser and start finding creative ways to use it. John Miller, thank you so much. I know people will get a lot of value out of this episode. If you're listening to this, do me a favor. Go to LinkedIn, type in John Miller, send John a message or reach out to him, you know, about anything you learned from this episode and also do what I do which is try to like and comment on many of his posts so they show up more uh in your feed cuz he has very I don't know if it's him or chat GPT or a combination of both, but it doesn't matter because it's damn good B2B marketing advice and expertise. Thanks, John. We will see you out there. Thank you. All right. See you later. Goodbye, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the exit five podcast. If you're in B2B marketing and you want to grow your career, you should also go and check out everything that we have over at exit 5com We've got articles, we've got videos, we've got templates. We're always adding new stuff. It's really becoming the number one place you can go if you want to grow your career and learn more about B2B marketing outside of what you're doing inside of your company every day. So check it out, exit5.com. annual membership to exit five that's valued at 275 dollars just for checking them out and the tool is free if you're not already a member this is a great opportunity and if you are and you want to learn more go to apollo.io slash e5